Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Well, that cliff certainly reaches back a decade or two. But it certainly highlights the power, actually, of reaching out. How many remember Sister Act when it first came out in the early 90s? I was watching that clip. I was like, it seems like the early 80s, doesn't it? Uh, I remember it being a bit scandalous, right? Whoopi Goldberg plays Sister Mary Clarence, former lounge singer, who becomes a nun and kind of revolutionizes her local parish with her soulful approach to soul singing. But, but it's really more than, uh, you know, using pop songs to inject life into, like, a boring, you know, worship service. Did you notice what happened? as the sisters became less focused on their own convent and more focused on reaching the people in their community. Incredible things started happening, right? I mean, they established like a daycare center, they repair cars, they pick up the trash, you know, the trash littering the neighborhood, and they began spending as much time in the neighborhood as they did cloistered behind the walls of their convent. In other words, as practical expressions of God's love began flowing outside of a church and into the neighborhood, barriers between the congregation and their neighbors began to come down. And that's actually when people really started wanting to check out what was happening inside the church. Now, you may be surprised to hear this admission coming from a pastor, but the dirty little secret is that most people consider church a drag. <laughs> I know this may shock you. You're like, no. But I'm here. Uh, but the facts really are cold and sobering. Although 90% of Americans say they believe in God, surveys also indicate the vast majority, over two-thirds, consistently choose to be somewhere other than church on Sunday, on the weekend. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think most people say, well, you know, I like Jesus, but the church, mm, yeah, not so much. I remember growing up and my parents practically having to drag me out of bed to go with them to church. I, I actually liked church when I was like really little because they gave you candy for memorizing verses. But, but once I was a teen, forget it. I was like bored to tears and seemed more like this club for sour-faced adults who used some crazy like insider language I didn't really understand. You know, they talked a lot about joy and stuff, but these were like the most uptight, rigid folks I could ever, you know, recall in my life. Even when we played like those more upbeat hymns, you'd see some people, it would be so great because some people in our church you know, growing up, they like kind of wanted to get into it, but they were worried like everyone was thinking. So they'd like start rocking kind of like this, looking out of the side vision. And even they, they like, would want to clap, but they just like, there was like this magnetic feel. They couldn't get their hands above their belt. You know, they're like, oh, I want to clap. No, I couldn't do it, you know. And, and my friend and I called them the frozen chosen. Oh, you know, they're just like... like so, so when I was in high school, I had this epic battle with my parents because I was like, I, I don't want to go to church because I, I sleep through most of the service. Why bother getting out of bed? Just sleep in. It's more productive than sitting and soaking with the frozen and chosen. So that's what I did. Kind of dropped out of church when I went away to college. I, sorry, I should, I should put that in. I, no. I faithfully worshipped at the same venue every Sunday during college. Pillow Presbyterian. You ever been there? <laughs> right across from Bedtime Baptist, right? Right across... <laughs> Why is it that most people are open to God, but not interested in church? I want you to take a listen to this man on the street interview, and I think you'll notice a common thread. I've not found anybody to have anything that I've found worthwhile to convert to. So I, I open initially, and I guess I get real disappointed. When people talk about God and all this, they, they, get, they do all this big excitement stuff. And it's like they want everybody to be just like them. But I can't find the meat in there that I need. There's pressure to join the group. And they start to be uh, the opposite of what you would call, if you want to say Christian. They're, uh, you know, they become cruel and petty. And, and it's more like it becomes a conformity thing. Everybody's doing it. you got to go and be with everybody. It's a very groupy thing, I think. Oh, I've got to go to church and be at this meeting at 6 o'clock and that meeting at 7 o'clock, and I've got to go with everybody and be with everybody every minute. I personally would love somebody to have something that I found that worked. You know, it would be wonderful. Yeah, I've been waiting. <laughs> Unfortunately, it hasn't worked for me, which, which this for me makes me sad. You know, you spend time talking to people, and you really find there are really four main reasons folks don't like going to church. They, te they tend to say one of the following. You know, church services are boring, right? Especially the sermons. Like, speed it up, Tim. <laughs> or church members are unfriendly to visitors. Maybe it's your first time, and it's like, how long does it take you? To, do, do I have to come, like, what is it, two months, three months before someone acknowledges me and actually reaches out and says hi? 
Or, or the church is more interested in my money than in me. That's a popular one. I've seen it on TV. It's you guys are going to shake me down. Or for parents, sometimes they worry about the quality of the, ch- you know, the church's child care. Because like everything in the church is like, kind of like subpar. It's always like a seven. Never a ten, but like a six or a seven. And you know what? Several of these objections are valid in some places. But instead of pointing the finger, I want you to notice something important about these four reasons people don't like going to church. They all four of them have something in common. You know what it is? Not one of them has anything to do with God. In other words, I I rarely meet people who say, well, well, I don't don't go to church because I I don't believe in God. (laughs) The, The truth is most people are very open to learning about God and spiritual issues. They just don't feel welcome at church or think it actually has anything relevant to offer them. And guess what? That's our problem. (laughs) I think that clip from Sister Act highlighted an important spiritual reality. That it's really only when we look beyond ourselves, these little four walls, and reach out to the world around us, focusing outward on the needs of our neighbors and community, that people actually become interested in what we have to say. That old axiom about the power of compassionate outreach is true. People don't care how much we know, let's read it together, until they know how much we care. Unfortunately, we live in a pretty me-focused kind of culture. And I'm afraid that uh, kind of self-absorption and inwardness is leaking in many churches as well. Uh, Not long ago, a guy named Dave Workman, he's a pastor actually of a vineyard church out in Cincinnati. He sat down to eat in a fast food restaurant that's like, you know, promises, you know, friendly service. And when he got there, unfortunately, the temperature inside the joint was so cold that all the customers had to eat with their coats on. He's like, so in the middle of September, it's like mid-September, people are wearing like North Face jackets as they eat their burger. So as he waited for his burger, Pastor Dave, he went up to the girl behind the counter. And he was like, hey, miss, I'm sorry. It's kind of chilly in here. Is there any chance like someone could just turn up the thermostat just a little? And he said the teenage girl at the register smiled her perky smile. And she says, oh, uh, no, not really. <laughs> and then she leaned across the counter. She says, oh, see, we like it this way. It makes it that much more comfortable back in the kitchen for us. And for his part, Dave responded, yeah, but, but, but we, all the, all the customers are sitting out here eating with all of our coats on. And she kind of looked over his shoulder into the dining room and, and then back at, at, at Dave and as if he were like a little bit slow. And she repeated it. She said, we like it this way. <laughs> now, if that were just some, you know, punk teen at a Burger King, it'd hardly be worth mentioning. But as Dave Workman sadly points out, self-absorption is not limited to teenagers flipping cheeseburgers. He notes, that's a picture of how many of us treat people outside the church. We like to keep things so comfortable for ourselves that we forget the crowds of people around us who are freezing to death with their emotional coats on. And and frankly, we like it like this. Which, of course, is in direct contrast to the approach Jesus took. He took a radically different approach, explaining in Mark 10, 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's why every church, or a restaurant for that matter, that wants to be effective, has to cultivate a servant culture that says, actually, it's not about me and my comfort. It's about them and their needs. It's about following in the footsteps of Jesus and becoming outward focused enough to to notice and genuinely care for the folks at an arm's distance from God and reach out to bring them close to the Father's embrace. Well, easier said than done, of course. How, you know, how do we do that as Jesus' followers, as, as, a, as a community here that wants to mirror Jesus' heart to look beyond our me culture and invest our lives in something larger than ourselves? Well, one way is to simply follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That's literally what a disciple does, follow in the footsteps of the master and do what Jesus did. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke 7, verses 11 through 16, if you have your Bible. We've also printed that passage in your bulletin notes, so you can pull that out right there and follow along. We put a little notes in there for you in the scripture. And if you're listening online, we're going to read it together. Luke 7, verses 11 through 16, which tell the story of how Jesus turned a funeral into a party. And it's like, what's the difference between a a party and a funeral? It's interesting, but in Sister Act, um, it was only as the sisters turned outward that their services looked less like a funeral and more like a party. Because people go to parties because they're fun. You don't have to convince them to come. They want to be there. Now, funerals, of course, people go to because they're, they're driven, you know, by, by love maybe or by duty. In other words, they go because they have to. Unfortunately, many people approach church the same way. But the good news, at least according to this account in Luke 7, is that when Jesus shows up on the scene, even funerals turn into parties. So let's read this together, starting at verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As Jesus approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. 
and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up, and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. You know, it goes without saying that everyone encounters loss and tragedy on the road of life. I mean, it could be the death of a beloved family member or the end of a marriage, a broken friendship, or, or a lifelong dream that's kind of gone sour. And, you know, in a room this size, we all have stories of hurts and disappointments. And those stories would be even more tragic if Jesus wasn't waiting to show up at the funerals of our lives and do what he did for the widow of Nain. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ, gospel means good news, only becomes good news to us when it connects with the bad news in our lives. And this widow had some bad news. This was a serious situation. She'd lost her husband, and her only son was dead, her last means of support. And Jesus kind of meets her in the midst of this funeral procession at the town gate. She's surrounded by like a large crowd of mourners. That's actually was part of Jewish tradition. You know, the relatives and friends of the dead person would cry aloud, and they'd draw attention to the body going by. And that, that, that mourning period would continue for 30 days. But after the month was over, guess what? Crowd dispersed. Everyone goes home. And this widow would be left penniless and alone. She, she was likely past the age of childbearing, wouldn't marry again. And unless a relative came to her aid, her future was bleak. Having lost a husband, lost her only son, she might even be reduced to begging for food. Which is likely why, according to verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Because she was exactly the kind of person that Jesus came to help. Someone who had suffered loss, someone whose life looked hopeless, and help her he did. (laughs) Raised her son back to life, revealing his power to bring hope out of any tragedy. I mean, I want you to imagine this woman's joy when, you know, imagine, you know, the limp body of her beloved boy, you know, kind of laid out there on a stretcher, suddenly, you know, sits up straight and he begins to talk like, hey, what's what's going on? Why are you guys all crying? What's going on here? Like, what? And Jesus takes the mother and say, puts them back together. And it's like, what was that like for that widow? <laughs> How'd she experience the compassion of Christ meeting her where she was at? A verse in the Old Testament, Psalm 3011, comes to mind. The psalmist writes, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. One of the things Jesus does best by his very presence in the life of someone who's hurting is that he turns funerals into parties. Again, the, the, the gospel only becomes good news when it connects with the bad news in our lives. Because you know this. I mean, when our lives are going well, right? You know, uninterrupted by hardship, suffering, or pain, there seems little need for a savior. I mean, that, it's a funny thing. It's, it's kind of ironic. Like, when life goes well, you know, you pray less. <laughs> Church, well, whatever, you know, whatever. But when we're hurting, when life's difficulties are too great to overcome on our own, we're almost forced exclusively to rely on the only one whose love and concern is truly never-ending. And, and that's what happened to the widow of Nain when she encountered Jesus. When, when his life intersected with her at the town gates, Psalm 3011 became reality for her. She could honestly say, Jesus, you turned my wailing into dancing. You, you removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. And I want you to imagine what happened to everyone else around her in that funeral procession, right? <laughs> I mean, undoubtedly spilled over onto them too. I mean, after, you know... Probably a little stunned silence, like, whoa, dead man talking. Okay. The scripture says everyone was filled with awe and praised God. They started worshiping, singing, laughing, dancing. And all they could say was, I love this, God has come to help his people. That's the only thing that can be said when Jesus enters the life of someone who's in the midst of loss or tragedy. The funeral turns into a party. That's, that's the first point if you're, you know, fill in the blanks if you like that kind of stuff. Mourning gives way to joy. And those of you who've been through loss or heartache, the death of someone close to you, the breakup of a family or relationship, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you know. See, contrary to popular opinion, God is not about guilt. He's not about lording over you. But he's actually about real joy. The, and lots of it, folks. He is not a God of funerals. 
All throughout Scripture, the Bible frequently refers to God's feasts and parties, to like the rejoicing of angels in heaven. In fact, if you flip over like eight chapters to Luke 15, the Bible tells us that there is joy in heaven. There's a party in heaven when a single sinner, single person who was previously lost or disconnected from God, just like takes a step back. Jesus is like, there is like this celebration, a house party in heaven when that happens. Wouldn't it be great if like all funerals turned into celebrations of like God's goodness? Because Jesus' love showed up so powerfully in the midst of loss or pain. I know this won't be a popular exercise, but I want you to imagine your funeral. What will it be like? What will they play at your funeral? Chris, what will they play? Will the Depeche Mode, you know, kind of... <laughs> It would be somber, dark, gloomy, you know, kind of a pall of sadness covering it. Could, could you envision, if instead, just for a moment, your funeral as a celebration, as, as something that people are like, we got to dance. <laughs> I know some of you are like, all right, well, I'll dance when you die, Tim. <laughs> what I mean is, wouldn't it be incredible if people gathered around after you were gone and they like celebrated the fact that, my gosh, Jesus not only showed up and filled Chris's life with great relationships and good things on earth, but, but, gosh, God's love flowed through Chris while he was here. And, and, and that's why we're here, right? We're all in this room because the joy and hope in his life kind of spilled over onto us. Folks, this series, Outflow, is really all about living a life of contagious love. And leaving a legacy, a legacy that will last long after you're gone. It's about reaching your world, the world that God's placed you in, and being known by people for loving God and loving those around you who are in need, just as Jesus did while he was on this earth. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. He said, don't cry. I can do more than you think or imagine in your moment of need. There was a famous Bible smuggler by the name of Brother Andrew who had the best epitaph I've ever heard requested for his tombstone. When asked what he'd want written on his tombstone, he said, I hope it'll say, here lies Brother Andrew. He accomplished far more than he was able. In other words, you know, he didn't just, we can't explain his life. Apart from God being in his life, so much happened through this simple man. If you had to turn the person next to you and tell him what you would want written on your tombstone, what would it say? Like, well, Mary Jo, you know, she, she, she did the best she could. Dave gave it a shot. (laughs) Or would it suggest that because you had met Jesus and his power and love like so impacted your life, you accomplished far more than you were able if it were just up to you. Folks, God wants to help each of us live a life that's worthy of a legacy. Our lives, regardless of our circumstances, truly are God designed to overflow with unimaginable joy and power right here on earth. And the question is, do you believe that? Or, or does that kind of talk seem overblown? You know, kind of pie in the sky. I guess your perspective on that depends on whether you believe Jesus' perspective on, on, on what's going on here at life, daily, day to day. I mean, because we don't, we don't live where everything goes smooth. And Jesus is like, yeah, precisely. We live in a world at war. Most people feel torn and conflicted day to day, Jesus says, because you're actually living at cross purposes. They're, they're pulling in two directions. In John 10.10, Jesus says this. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In other words, and I know this may be a stretch, by the way, for some of you who don't believe in like Satan or evil, but, but just step over that a minute and track with me, okay? Jesus plainly told his listeners that there is an evil entity in the world that wants to literally suck all the joy and hope out of our lives. That's literally his only purpose. To steal and kill and destroy all the joy, hope, and love that God has stored up for his children. At different times in scripture, Jesus refers to him as the evil one or Satan and here as the thief. And whether or not you intellectually acknowledge the existence of the evil one, you may have experienced some of his effects. You know, experience the work of the thief? What's he stolen from you? What good good things has he robbed in your life? Last week, as some of you know, I was away on family vacation. (laughs) Colleen and I take the kids, we pack them up in the car each year and go down the Outer Banks, right off North Carolina, each year the week before summer starts. Cheaper, 
little less crowded, and, and like, it's always a highlight for us. We like, always look forward to it. So I've been looking forward to this trip for months, okay? Since our Easter launch, I've just kind of been like, like, if I could just make it till May, you know? Vacation, I'll, I'll sleep, I will rest, I will, I, I will sleep some more, you know? And of course, you know what happens when you put like all your eggs in this basket and set up those expectations for a vacation, right? Like all comes crashing down. You know, sure enough, last Friday, the day I'm, I'm, we're supposed to leave, I'm in the office cleaning out my email box one last time, and, and like I'm, I'm typing, like this wave, this wave of like nausea rises over me. And I call home, and I'm like, hey, sweet, are, Kyle, you feel all right? Was that like sushi funny last night? And she's like, oh, no, oh, gosh, sweet, I don't, I don't even want to say it, but do you remember that kids had that 24-hour vomit virus last week? And I'm like, no, I can't. Oh, boy. <laughs> Go home, get in bed, I'm just going to lay down for a few minutes. Sleep 36 hours straight. All the time, we were supposed to be packing, driving down, unpacking, and laying on the beach for the first day. I'm at home in bed, first day of vacation, in my sick pajamas. You got sick PJs? You know what I'm talking about? That, like, ratty shirt and, like, you know, shorts that, like, you only take out, like, when you get sick. It smells like Vicks Vapor rubs. Vacation. Well, you know, so I finally recover, and Colleen, you know, Colleen basically packed the car herself. But I emerged from my sick room a day and a half later, and we get in the car, we drive down, and of course, the kids now by now are, are bananas, because they've been screaming about vacation for like two months, and then I make them wake an extra day thanks to the flu. So now they're just bonkers in the car, and it's a 10-hour trip, and we are not even past LBI, and they're like, are we there yet? You know? And I am like so weak from not eating, my head is pounding, I'm just like, we're not even close. You know? That's basically how our trip went. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to paint a bad picture. We actually we had lovely weather with good friends, but it's like I spent most of the time under a cloud. Got down there, just kind of struggled with negative thoughts. Couldn't really turn my mind off. Just you know, negative stuff. I like couldn't couldn't shake for a couple days until so I took a, a longer extended walk with on the beach with God. And, and and just as things were starting to clear up, it was like the fourth day. I was like, I can I can still you know salvage this. I got a day left. I get Montezuma's revenge. And spend another day in bed. Actually, in the bathroom. <laughs> Not in bed. And when I emerged, last day of vacation, I emerged from that little bout on Friday. You know, I like, I like come out to the pool and like all pale and gaunt. And Colleen is like trying to cheer me. She's like, you look great in your bathing suit, you know. I'm like, yeah, I've dropped about 20 pounds of water weight in the last five hours, you know. Thanks. <laughs> the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And, and I don't want to get all spiritual about this, okay? Like the devil's behind every cough or crappy vacation. But Jesus says, life is rigged. <laughs> There's an entity whose arch purpose is to <laughs> steal our joy, kill our hope, strangle our relationships, and basically crap all over the blessing that God has purpose to give his beloved children. I don't have to convince you of this. Everyone in this room has experienced the bad news of living in a fallen world. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus announces some incredible news in the second part of his teaching. Jesus says, now my purpose, okay, I have a different plan for your life, a different vision, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now that doesn't kind of capture, because that's more of a paraphrase. The NIV translates the Greek a little bit more accurate. I have come that they may have life, let's read it together, and have it to the full. To the full. See, Jesus came to give each of us more life than the thief could ever steal. Now, the Greek word used here for the abundant life Jesus promises in John 10.10 is perisos. Did I get it right? No. Perisos. Perisos, sorry. The emphasis is over the I. Perisos, all right? We print it there in your notes. Go ahead and circle it, all right? I don't give you a lot of Greek, but, you know, those of you who own diners, go for it, all right? Circle that. Perissos means exceeding or overflowing. Little Greek for you, perissos, brimming to the point of running over. But now here's the deal. I'm going to teach you a little Norwegian. I'm Dutch. Now, Norwegian is not a biblical language for those of you keeping score at home, okay? But here's what's interesting. In the Norwegian Bible, the word perissos is translated uvaflut, okay? All right, let's say this together. It's literally pronounced uvaflut. Let's say it together. Ready? Uva flute. <laughs> now, what does that sound like to you, right? Imagine shouting, right? Honey, the toilet has uva flute again, right? 
Now that's Norwegian, but it gives you a good hint at what Jesus is getting at here in John 10.10. He's making a promise to everyone who would actually follow him that in a nutshell, he came to earth because he wants us to overflow, overflow with more life and joy than you can actually imagine. The Apostle Paul grasps this concept of overflowing joy, of of abundant life and hope in the midst of a broken world. In Ephesians 3.20, he wrote this. He says, now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. Infinitely more than you can dream of. Imagine, in other words, could you imagine your life this week like like a literal best week ever? (laughs) Brimming with joy and hope. I mean, how much happiness and life and joy can you imagine? It's like, well... And what would it take for that to happen? Whatever you're envisioning, Jesus is like, not even close. I'm talking about overflow, a fullness that is so much, you actually have it left over. You can't contain it. There's extra. And it begins spilling over and pouring into the lives of those around you because you're brimming. Now, show of hands, how many of you are experiencing that kind of fullness right now, this moment? Thank you. You are dismissed. You can leave church, go right out the back. Not many. One hand. And that's okay. That's okay. Maybe you're like me because I'm like, I'm actually thirsty for more joy. I could use some deeper happiness. It's interesting, but on another occasion, Jesus bumped into a needy woman he met at a well of all places in a little town called Sicker. And this is in John chapter 4 if you want to check it out. We don't have time for the whole story, but this woman at the well in Sicker had apparently been seeking but not finding true happiness in relationships with men. She'd been married five times, and she was shacking up with some guy who wasn't her husband. That's when Jesus meets her. Serial monogamist. Been passed around a pair of you, you know, a few shoes. And you, you may relate to this, because it's, pop, it's a popular well to draw from in our quest for fulfillment in life, right? Romance, sex. That just happened to be her well of choice for trying to find fulfillment. <laughs> but she could have just have been looking for fulfillment by trying to find the perfect... You know, job, the perfect home, the perfect you name it. And when Jesus engages her in conversation, he points to the well and he makes this stunning claim. He says, here's the deal, lady. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. Here's the deal. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get it. Now, catch this. This woman might not have understood the rest of what Jesus was offering, but she knew this. I am tired of being thirsty. (laughs) I am tired of the dry spell. (laughs) I am tired of constantly seeking and never quite finding the filling, the fulfillment that she longed for. So as far as she was concerned, you know, accepting Jesus' offer was like a no-brainer. And when Jesus made this promise to pour living water into her life, he was promising himself. What happens when someone opens their heart to God and invites Jesus into their parched soul? It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them. In other words, it comes rising up and spills out and gives nourishment to other things. The message paraphrase says, it becomes an artesian spring within gushing, gushing fountains of endless life that will flow out of you if you trust Jesus. You get this? Jesus is like promising two things. He's like, living water is going to flow into your life as well as out of it. That's what a spring does. It takes in, absorbs rain and liquid, and then it bubbles up and spills liquid goodness to all those around. Inflow and then outflow. If you want to be filled and you want to find true fulfillment in your life, you've got to be willing to let Christ's living water flow out of you as well. And that's the essential truth of the Christian faith. Jesus turns emptiness into overflowing life. Spiritual emptiness into actually life that overflows. If you've been struggling, God doesn't just want to meet your needs. He doesn't just want to like give you meaning and purpose and all that jazz. He wants to fill you so that your life actually becomes so rich, it spills over into the needs of other people. He's talking about like a network of aquifers here, all drawing from this endless underground source and bubbling over down to dry ground around it. Which leads us to the final point of outflow, which is really our anchor idea for this whole series. Jesus turns self-focused lives outward. You can go ahead too. On the front of your bulletin, there it is, we have this simple phrase. It's actually a prepositional phrase for you English majors, but it packs a punch if it takes root in your life. Let's read it out loud together. Outflow, because it's not about you. Do you believe that? That although God has given each of us the gift of life, 
He's given us life. Actually, more than that. Given us the gift of Jesus Christ, who laid down his life as a sacrifice so that we could have endless life with God forever in heaven. In the end, our life is actually really not about us. It's not about our own comfort or being blessed or finding self-satisfaction. But only as we turn outward, focusing on others as Jesus did, on serving others as Jesus did, and sacrificing for them as Jesus did, do we actually find a life that's actually worth living. Really? I mean, admittedly, everything in the world conspires against this, right? Marketing, commercials, advertisements, they all really have one goal, right? To convince you that life really is all about you. (laughs) You can have it your way. You deserve a break. And truth be told, most of us don't need that much convincing. It really doesn't matter whether you're religious or not. Maybe you're not religious particularly. Our culture says it's about me. And in fact, many churches implicitly send a similar message. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. (laughs) Me Church, where it's all about you. You you know, we may laugh, but that's honestly why many churches suck. No, no, I didn't mean that like in a chorus way. That may be why your life sucks, why you have a life that sucks. I'm not using suck in a crude fashion here. I literally mean your life may... Suck. Sucking is what happens when a fountain dries up. It's the opposite of gushing, overflow. Gushing is what happens when, when a, like a water main breaks and a torrent drenches everyone and everything around it. But is what happens when a fountain is cut off from its purpose. It sucks. It withers. It dries up. And it sucks all the joy and love out of everyone in its midst. And that's why many of us lead lives that suck. Because we suffer from the disease of self-centeredness. We've actually bought into the world's philosophy that it really is all about us and getting our needs met first and the buff and the wax before anyone else. You know what Jesus says? Jesus is like, that does suck. That is a small life. (laughs) Especially for those around you. And it's because you believe the thief. I mean, what's your response when the joy and the hope and love that God has promised to you it's kind of robbed from you. You begin thinking, well, if it's, if it's, I guess it's up to me. I've got to fend for myself. And instead of looking to God to actually fill you new each day, you attempt to beg, borrow, or steal what it needs from everyone else around you in your life. And it's like, serve me, love me, give to me, listen to me, right? And the result is what? An increasingly empty, dried up, increasingly self-focused life. A life that begins to suck in instead of flow out, as Jesus envisioned. And it's fortunate that Jesus offers an antidote for that. He's like, if you put your trust in me, I don't mean say words. I mean, believe what I'm saying is true. That the way to find your life is to lose it. If you trust me, I will turn your self-focused sucking life outward. And you will find real life. Where true purpose and fulfillment as a spiritual being, is to be found. Acts 1.8 are the last words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven. Jesus lived this out, right? He dies on the cross. He literally lays down his life for us, for our life. He's raised from the dead by the power of God so we could be raised to new life. And then he tells his followers this. He says, here's the deal. Now that I'm leaving, I'm going back to heaven. You guys will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. 
in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, as the last words of Jesus before returning to heaven, you know this promise is packed with significance. And indeed, Acts 1.8 is descriptive of the pattern that God still uses to flow into us so that he can flow out of us and impact the world. In their book, Outflow, um, by Steve Shogren and Dave Ping, I'm kind of using, I'm using it as a search for message series. Awesome book. If you can like, get it from Amazon, it's called, it's called Outflow. It's great. They use a four-tier fountain to illustrate this outward flow that God intends to characterize the lives of a people. Have you ever seen a fountain like this? You know, I got a picture up here. You know where this? We put it in your bulletin. You see where it's from? This is actually from Vatican City. This is one of the oldest fountains in the world. And you'll notice on it that actually is outside of St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. It's one of those four tiers where, you know, it spills out of the top into the first bowl. And then that one gets so full, it spills in the second bowl and third bowl and down into the you know, fourth pool, etc. And I want you to imagine that these four bowls represent different types of relationships in your life. Meant once we're filled with the Holy Spirit to cascade out. And they really do parallel what Jesus says. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And be my witness. You're going to tell people everywhere through your life. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, even people you don't really like. And to the ends of the earth. Places you've never been will be impacted because you have lived. Filled with my spirit. Do you believe that? What if your life was a fountain? If your life actually was a four-tiered fountain, how's it going right now? How filled is it? If you're like, it's filled kind of with that crummy red high C punch you have in there, Tim. (laughs) And it's kind of clogged up. I'm like, I can just about connect with God, but gosh, you know, in my Jerusalem with with, with my family and friends. See, here's the deal. I'm going to break this down to you. First things first. Jesus is telling his disciples that the first thing that has to happen in your life, if you're going to have a life of, 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 of a legacy, you've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. He literally says, that's the first level. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, this is a mysterious thing, but everyone in this room who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior has been promised the Holy Spirit, the power of this Holy Spirit, the power, wisdom, and insight that God pours into you as a counselor and guide. The way these fountains work is there literally is a, you can't see it, but there's a central column in here that feeds the water all the way down here and it fills up and just constantly keeps cascading down, down, down into greater levels. So that central column is the Holy Spirit. But the first bowl that catches it and distributes the power of the Spirit, that's your relationship with God. Every Jewish person, since the time they were born, knew there's one place you go if you want to get close to God. Where do you go? The temple in Jerusalem. That's where you worship God. That's where you talk to Him. That's that's where you serve Him. You go to the temple. But Jesus changes all that. (laughs) Now that He came, there was no longer any need to travel to a temple built with human hands. Because of his death, Jesus made it possible for every single person to have a direct, intimate connection with God, no matter what city you're in. Everything begins and depends on you being filled up with God's Spirit, even though most of us honestly live half-filled lives, quarter-filled. Some of us are in E. We've been there for a while. We're about to wreck the engine. (laughs) But Jesus is like, your first job is to be filled up. And once you have your relationship with God in place... The next most natural place the Spirit's going to overflow is going to be your home. That's what the second tier of the fountain represents. Your Judea. Their relationships with family and friends. Judea was the hometown of the disciples. He's like, your family and your neighbors, the people who you know best, who may not even have great relationships with, yeah, I know those, they're going to be impacted first when I get a hold of your life. It's going to spill over into their life. So our outflow begins literally at home with the people we're closest with. I know that may sound a little scary, but we're going to focus on those relationships in a couple weeks. The third tier represents Samaria. And one thing Jews thought about Samaritans were what? Don't go near them. They're not our kind of people. (laughs) So they basically shunned the Samaritans. And taught until Jesus came along and, and taught them, whoa, 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 no, guys, there's, I have a different paradigm of engaging folks who are unlike you. See that woman at the well? Yeah, I know. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. She's a serial adulterer. Come on. Let's talk with her. What? What? Come on. How's it going there? Five husbands. Let's talk. That's scandalous. In the weeks to come, we're going to zero in on how do you love and connect with people in your everyday life who you have nothing in common with, you may not even like, you may just actually wish you just pretend you didn't even see them. Because they're actually on God's heart. And he wants to use you to bless them. 
The last and largest bowl the Spirit wants to fill is your relationship with the larger world. And that's where Jesus says the ends of the earth. And when the disciples heard ends of the earth, the best, remember, this is the first century. The best they could imagine was like a, a Roman province like, you know, Gaul, you know, where they heard they were like savage barbarians wearing animal skins, you know, with weapons. In their minds, not the safest place to visit. And maybe you're like, I've never been out of New Jersey. Um, <laughs> ends of the earth, you know, how am I going to help with AIDS in Africa? I don't, you know, I just, what am I going to do? First century, the disciples, Jesus said this to, they didn't have blackberries, they didn't have aircraft. He's like, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. You're going to take this whole thing because my Father's love is meant for all people. In the weeks to come, we're going to look at how you can make a difference in the world around us if we're open to it. So you get this metaphor? Four levels of your spiritual purpose. Holy Spirit fills you. First of all, your relationship with God spills into your family and friends, out into the streets, and eventually cascades in the world around us. And that's the kind of filling to the brim impact that a life fully alive to Jesus Christ is supposed to have. Outflow, because it's not about you. It starts with you. You see how it starts with you? God's got to fill you up. But you've been saved to serve. You've been blessed to be a blessing. You've got an eternal purpose. And God wants to use each of us in this room in a -a one-of-a-kind way to impact those around us in the weeks to come. And I'm talking very practical ways. I don't I have to contain myself because I want to give it all away. In the next few weeks, I'm going to be describing the three outreach projects we have planned for this summer. And I am extremely excited about these. They're carefully planned, they're prayerfully planned, but you're going to have to come back to find out the details. But here's the deal. I, I am, the reason I'm excited is because I have full confidence that God is literally going to change lives in this church. He's going to change some of you. I hope he changes me. He's going to change lives in this room because of what spills out into the streets of Morristown. He's going to change the lives of family members and friends who you may not even be thinking of right now. And lives of people you don't even know yet. Someone's life may change this June who's never met you yet. But because you intersect with them under the power of the Holy Spirit, their life will change. It'll never be the same. It's not because you're so great. But when God, the Spirit of God is flowing through you and out into the world around you, Look out. How does, how does that sound to you? Some of the earlier service was like intimidating. <laughs> it's actually totally okay to feel inadequate because the reality is this. Unless Jesus actually fills us up, every one of us is inadequate. <laughs> and we're in good company. All of Jesus' disciples were inadequate. Right? I mean, he gave them this edict. This is the risen Christ. He's talking to disciples. He says, Thomas, I know you're down here. You know, put your fingers in there. Peter, here I am. All right, yeah, you see, it's, it's me. Do you know what the first thing they did after Jesus rose from the dead and they ascended to heaven? He's like, I'm going to send you the ends of the earth. You know what they did? They went back to fishing. They literally went back to fishing. You're like, oh, no, okay. Whatever. <laughs> He's gone. I, how are we going to do this? I can't do this. I've never been out of it. I'm imagining it. Get away from me. And back to, and picked up their nets, and they went fishing until Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit literally came and dropped on them and filled them up with a power that was supernatural. And literally, the floodgates opened, and the gospel literally flowed from a backwater town in Israel, in the first century Palestine, to the farthest reaches of the earth, in Rome, and washed up on the shores of New Jersey (laughs) in the 21st century, changing human history forever. You are invited to be a part of that. You think it's possible. How about you? Are you filled up? I mean, what if your life was like a fountain? You feel inadequate? What would the state of your you know, fountain be? Would it would be overflowing? Maybe the first bowl kind of full. I'm kind of connected, half filled. Or maybe clogged up and kind of sputtering. Or maybe dried up. You're like, dude, just... Yeah. There we go. Let's start there. Let's start there. Because I've been going through a dry spell for years. And I'm waiting to find out if it's true. That's the kind of filling that Jesus wants to bring through your life, into people around you. It sounds poetic, but could it possibly be true? If you're thirsty for more, I'm glad you've come at a great time. If you're thirsty for more of God, maybe a drink of him for the first time. Or maybe some fresh feeling after a long dry season. It is literally here at this place, at this church, for the taking. And I want to invite you to accept the living water that Jesus offers. I mean, the name of our church, after all, is liquid. (laughs) 
And it doesn't matter whether you're seeking God for the first time or if you've known him all your life. God makes the same invitation to anyone in Revelation 22.7. The spirit and the bride say this. Come. Let anyone who hears this say come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. That is literally God's invitation to you tonight. Come. All who are thirsty. All you got to do is acknowledge your thirst and that you want more. If you'd like God to fill you fresh with his spirit, and I think some of you do. Let's do this. Let's bow our heads together. You can pray these simple words after me. You can say, Jesus, let's just be honest. Here I am. And I invite you to come into my heart right now and fill me with your living water. Lord, wash away my sins so that your life can flow out through me. I'm here to be filled by you. Again, it's not about words or a formula, but when you mean that with your heart, God promises he hears that, and he will respond to it. And something is going to happen. You are going to start to be filled. Even more than that, God's Holy Spirit is going to literally bubble up and pour out to other people around you and accomplish through you far more than you were ever able. Especially this month, in the weeks to come as we speak, we seek to be a spirit-filled church together. Because the party's just getting started and we have a part to play. If you come back with me a minute and look at that verse one last time. In Revelation it says, The Spirit and the Bride say come. Does anyone know who the bride is? Who the bride of Christ in the Bible is? The church. So in other words, the church gets to partner with the Spirit of God to invite thirsty people to God's party. Remember, it's, it's not about us. It's about them. In fact, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's kind of remind each other. Let's say it to one another. I want you to turn. It's going to be a little bit awkward now. I want you to turn to the person next to you. And I want you to say, hold on, hold on. I want you to say it this way. It's so not about you. All right, go, go, go. It's so not about you. Say, I was going to say, it's so not about me either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mary Jo like, took offense. She like, slammed her Bible. She's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's not about me. It, it starts with you. It starts with you. But God wants to fill you and bless you so you can pour out blessing to those who have yet to experience his loving kindness. Now, here's the deal. What's a party without balloons? You've seen the balloons up here? And you actually are leaving in about seven minutes with a mission. You saw some of them, you cheaters, on the way in. But we have out in the foyer about a thousand balloons. Yeah, you're like, wait, I didn't see them when we walked in. Surprise! did it while you weren't looking. And when you go out tonight, you'll notice that they say, outflow, because God loves you. And on your way out tonight, we're going to give one of these to each of you. But here's the deal. It's not yours to keep. You have to give it away today or tomorrow, at some point in the next 48 hours, to a stranger or someone you encounter in your daily travels. The guy who makes, you know, whatever, your, your sandwich in the way. But here's the deal. You can only give it away when it's attached to a small act of God's kindness that the Spirit inspires you to do. For instance, if, 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 say you go out to eat tonight after church, all right? Maybe, maybe you go out to eat tonight. You leave the waitress an extra big tip. You leave her 40% instead of 20. And on your way out, you hand her the balloon and say, because God loves you. Outflow. <laughs> Outflow, right? In fact, you don't even have to say anything. You can just like leave it tied, you know, to like your coffee mug on the table next to your fat tip, okay? Or if you're like on a fast food budget, you could tell the cashier at the drive through window that you want to buy the meals of the people in the car behind you, right? You give her a, a $10 bill and you're like, cover the car behind me. And then you give her an extra five bucks and say, and when they ask, I want you to give them this balloon. That's five for you, okay? 
What would you do? What would you do if you pulled up, you know, Taco Bell, you know, drive through whatever, and you're like, all right, get my chimichanga, da, 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 and it's like, it's all free? What do you mean? That guy paid for you. Oh, who, wait, wait, what? what? Someone, someone brought me, what? why? Because God loves you. <laughs> Alpha. You think something that small could make a difference? With God's power, you never know. Steve Shogren says the woman in his church was named Teresa. It was when she went through a Taco Bell drive-thru. She was a single mom and depended actually on a welfare check to feed her and her eight-year-old son. And it was 10 days before the next check was going to arrive. And here's how she described what happened. She said, after looking under the sofa cushions, all the car seats and through the glove box, we came up with a grand total of $4.58. It had been a hard week and my thinking was, hey, any way you look at it, let's go out with style. So we headed for Taco Bell. As we got to the drive through window to pay, I was never so shocked in all my life. The guy standing in the window had a big grin on his face and said, this is your lucky day. The people in front of you paid for your entire meal, and they said to give you this card. The card read, we hope this small act of service shows you how much God loves you in a practical way. I've got to tell you something. For me and my eight-year-old son, Donnie, this was no small act of love. It was huge. We were in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to receive exactly the touch from God when we needed it most. And then the next day they came to church for the first time because that, that tiny drop of generosity that they experienced in God's name made them hope that maybe, just maybe, God actually does see my life and care about what I'm going through. A waterfall starts with a single drop of water, and then another, and then another, blink, 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 blink. And suddenly, all those seemingly random drops become a torrent of liquid goodness. And the world literally gets bathed in God's love. And that's the vision. That's what we're praying for as a leadership team that we're going to see in our church in the month ahead. In outro, an overflow of love into the streets of Morristown and into the lives of people around us through you, by you, for them. Why? Because God loves you and them through you. You think you can do it? We were like, we can't announce these three projects. They're big projects. They're, they're just kind of, we were like, we got to start simple. And so we're like, all right, mini project. First week, real simple. After we close in worship, you're going to take a balloon on your way out. Or take two if you like. The only catch is that you have to give them all away in the next 48 hours to someone new. Attached to a practical act of kindness. That demonstrates God's love. Now next week we're going to come back and hear what God's starting to do in our community. If something cool happens, you know, this week when you give your balloon away, you, you email me, okay? Or put it on our blog, liquidchurch.com, just write like what happened. Or email me so I can share your story in the weeks to come, all right? All right, let's do this. Let's stand together. We're going to ask God just to kind of fill us from square one because that's where we're at. Jesus, I would say, here we are. We're yours. And we confess, Lord, just by nature, we're self-centered and we're really starting at square one. We want to be spirit-filled, Lord. Changed by your spirit. Filled with Jesus' love and power and compassion. So, Lord, I ask that you would please come. And, Lord, start with me. But begin this week filling every man, every woman who is here tonight. Drop your Holy Spirit into them in a new and powerful way, Lord. So that your love overflows into the lives of those around us. And use us to change your world. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together, Amen.